And welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Zoe Helena, founder of Cosmic Sisters, an environmental feminist collective. Welcome to the show, Zoe. Thank you so much. Zoe is an artist, environmentalist, and cultural activist best known for women's empowerment through nature's psychedelic medicines, such as cannabis, ayahuasca, peyote, San Pedro, and psilocybin mushrooms are co-evolutionary allies through psychedelic feminism. Cosmic Sisters' educational advocacy projects promote sacred medicines as a way to lift women's voices, celebrate diversity, and jumpstart rapid cultural evolution. Zoe has been featured in Forbes, BBC, Vice, Bust, Playboy, Outside Magazine, and New York Magazine. She has presented and or led psychedelic feminism talking circles for venues such as MAPS Canada, Spirit Plant Medicine Conference, and the Emerald Cup. Zoe, I have so many questions for you. I am so excited to get started with this interview. So let's just start at the beginning. How did you come to be involved in the world of psychedelics and psychedelic feminism? Oh my goodness. I have been working with sacred plants since I was about 21. However, it was part of the 80s and I was in the sort of just say no era. So I didn't really understand that I was working with sacred plants. I thought I was doing something wrong and I was secretly um, really working with cannabis, which is a sacred plant, a full on sacred plant. And I didn't, it took me many years before I realized that that was what I talk about today. I didn't try a, what most people would consider a real psychedelic until I was 42 years old in 2008 with my husband in the Amazon jungle. That was ayahuasca. And for a good long while, people would interview me about ayahuasca and I would say it was my first psychedelic. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, no, 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 cannabis was absolutely with, I mean, without a doubt, a full on psychedelic medicine experience, very healing, very blissful. And I, I didn't really talk about it in part because, like I said, it was the just say no era. I was in college. I'm 56. I was born in 64, just to clarify that. But at that time, if you were caught with cannabis, you could lose your scholarship. And I was not going to lose my scholarship. So so I, I worked with it on my own on this in this, you know, in my own little studio. And not all the time. I wasn't a stoner, but I was intentional about it. Then that's the curious thing, because today so much of my work is really about intentional work with these plants and fungi, I should say. So I don't know if that answers some of your question, but how did I get involved with psychedelic psychedelic feminism? I I came up with this term, so I'm actually the originator of this term, but I just want to clarify that while that is true, there have always been psychedelic feminists. They're just 
were, the words just didn't exist and the name didn't exist. So in other words, as long as there have been oppressed women, which unfortunately globally is forever, many, many thousands of years, depending depending like little pockets of indigenous culture, perhaps maybe had some balance, but we're talking about thousands of years in general and anywhere that is going to be the case, there are going to be women probably working with plants and they are going to be working against the various oppression traumas that they face. So as a female, uh, you know, born in a female body, raised as a female, I I learned really early that there were certain rules for us, you know, and that it was absolutely a male dominated culture. That was very clear. Even though I had a really super empowered mom, I walked in some of the feminist marches of the six of the sixties and seventies as a kid, but I remember them. Okay. I remember those marches. I remember those cool women, you know, like, Oh yeah, this is going to be great. The future is going to be great. And I, but I was too young to indulge in psychedelics at that time. However, I really understood very early, like so many people who are listening, I'm sure, that we are number one prized for some idea of beauty. Because mm-hmm. even as a little girl, it's always, oh, isn't she pretty? Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. that's the big prize. Mm-hmm. That is the door opener. So that gets worse as you get older and then puberty hits and all of a sudden it becomes even worse because now you have to really fit into a cookie cutter model that's even worse than when you're a girl. You know, sometimes, you know, girls can look a little bit more like what you're so supposed to look like, you know, Mm -hmm. this ideal that is, I mean, it's not just sexist, it's also racist. So I... I mean, it's a really, the the ideal of beauty that is imposed upon us globally is so convoluted and I think mostly pretty unconscious. So I think that's the first time I noticed. And then as I got older, I noticed that I tended towards wanting to be in male-dominated classes in school. And I just thought, well, I can do this. And there's no law. There's no rule. I, I would, As a kid, I was one of those feisty kids that looked at the rules and said, you know, I don't see anywhere saying I can't take this class. Just because it's all men or males, I should say, because they were boys, I I don't see why I can't do it. So I would take these classes and I would excel at them because I had to. And that kind of, I love this quote, you know, the, the idea of uh, um, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, right? Have you ever heard the, she did everything he did, but backwards in high heels? (laughs) Yes. 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 It's so great. And it's so true. Mm -hmm. It's like to, to stand out unless you have some crazy beauty within that ideal we're talking about, you need to be so good at what you do. I mean, you have to be standout, like several times better even than any male in the room. And even then you may very well be passed over. So I learned that really early and I, I enjoyed those classes with those boys. It was fun, but my, my whole way of of looking at feminism has always been pretty friendly. It's like a friendly, a merry war. It's like, yeah, you know, we're here and you're really good at this. I'm going to be better than you. And we're going to be competitive, but in a fun way, like playing Monopoly. That's what we're going to do. And, and you're going to respect me by the end of this. So I did that all the way through school and I was in school forever. 
ever, ever, ever. I may as well have been a doctor. I was in school so long. <laughs> You're laughing. Do you relate? Uh, in, a, in a different way, but yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, when I look back soberly at how much professional training I had, it's like 10 years. So why, why wouldn't I have just been a psychiatrist or something like that? You know, at least then I could then I could work with psychedelics in a therapeutic set setting, but we digress. Okay. So the point is I did tend to go into male dominated spaces and Excel and it was a feminist issue. And I also tended to seek out really extraordinary female mentors along the way, whether they were formal mentors in a, in a, like a real, um, like an educator, educational setting like master's degree. I worked with a phenomenal woman named Patricia Ziprot. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity and she changed my life. But I sought her out and I had a chance to go to Yale and work with Ming Cho Lee, who is also an extraordinary, extraordinary designer. And he, uh, he recently passed away. But I had a chance to study with him and he too understood that it might be better for me to work with Patricia. They had complete professional respect for each other. They were both at the top of the game. But as a female in a male-dominated culture, the performing arts, there was something about that that it really intrigued me. I also really loved her work because it wasn't just making pretty clothing. She was a costume designer, okay? But she talked about costumes as clothes, not costumes. And there's a difference. Yeah, yeah, not, it's a difference. When you need to, you know, if your leading lady wants to look beautiful, back to the sort of conversation at the beginning, right, about the mm -hmm. beauty thing, it's really much more about character, right? What is the character wearing and why, which is a really fascinating, deep subject matter. It's not fashion design. There's fashion design in it. You need to understand fashion history. Sometimes you can... You can, you know, influence fashion. She did a lot. She did a, a lot of shows that ended up really um, influencing the real world fashion. But the the reality of it is it's about human condition and the characters of the script, whatever it is, a play or a movie, and why they wear what they wear. So that, too, had a real feminist overlay to it. And she also had an anthropological type of a, a part to her work which was about deep research and as close to primary research as you could. So I learned also from her about that sort of thing, you know, human condition all over the world, all over different times, how people live in different places during different times. And, and now I travel the world with my husband. Um, his name is Chris Killam. He's often called the medicine hunter. And he is an ethnobotanist who travels around the world. So when we ran into each other at a trade show, we, I knew that there was a connection there, even though I don't think he saw it immediately. I understood what I was looking at. I did not understand the plants. I did not understand why they were even important. I had no knowledge of plants when I met my husband. What I'm trying to say is I did not know what an ethnobotanist was, but as soon as I looked it up, I thought, oh, wait a minute. I have a lot of knowledge in this, just not from the plant perspective. Mm. I have a lot that I can bring to the table from more of a study of human conditions and cultures around the world in different times. And that's where I found my niche. And from that, you know, I, I still wouldn't call myself a plant medicine expert, not in the way my husband is, not in the way so many other amazing women who are herbalists or ethnobotanists are. These people, they're like walking encyclopedias for plants.
right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not me. Although I have learned a lot over the years, especially pitching media for Chris. I could talk pretty well about the psychoactives, the adaptogens, and definitely the psychedelics, but I'm not going to be the one to tell you about how the chemistry works or all of, you know, even the deep history of where they come from. And that stuff is very, very interesting, but it's really not my focus. Well, your focus is psychedelic feminism. Yes, it is. What is psychedelic feminism? So psychedelic feminism doesn't have to be too complicated. I do like to put that environmental feminist collective thing in front of Cosmic Sister, though, because I love to say that as much as we're going to talk about on this podcast, my heart is is really in in this because of what's happening to the planet and also the living beings on this planet, which includes us humans. And that's really where psychedelic feminism begins. That's like the seed or the roots of psychedelic feminism. Right now, what we have is a grossly imbalanced power over model. It's patriarchal, and it is a model that has not worked. We have almost 8 billion people on this planet, and we are consistently wiping out just about every other living being on the planet, unless they can help us in some way, in which case we do terrible things like factory farming, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're terrible. We're just we're really, we're narcissistic as a species. So for me, when I look at that, and I look at this gross imbalance and the place we are now, I say, look, this is a, this is an obvious, this is an obvious, we will never be in a position where we can save ourselves, and therefore not save the rest of the world, but maybe don't destroy it. Right. Mm -hmm. We need to we need to change. And one of the big things is we need to have a balance of gender. And I do mean, by the way, uh, across the gender spectrum, I don't want this to be totally binary, but I am cisgendered. So that is my experience in life. And it does tend to at least the the um, the statistics we we know are about 50-50. And I who the heck knows where other people are in that mix? I, I generally guess 20%, but we don't really know. Gender is a construct. We're trying to figure all that out, which is fabulous, by the way. But in a broad brush approach, we have male and female, and we have male domination for thousands of years, and we have a mess, right? Mm-hmm. So So the psychedelics come into the picture in various ways, but essentially I've never seen anything like psychedelics for helping people change rapidly in good ways. Mostly there are some people who have gotten lost. You know, that's one of the negatives of psychedelics, but for the most part, it can help us to, to really see things we're hiding about ourselves or to heal things that we know are in there, but we don't want to look at, or, or they're just so hard, or we've tried every way that we can to fix them, and we just can't. Um, all of these things that, that are burdens that we carry that keep us down, these things can be addressed in, the, in a really great set and setting with these sacred psychedelic plants and fungi. And that's really what psychedelic feminism is. And then you start to break it down a little bit. You start to look at, well, what can I work on within psychedelic feminism? And you you can look on, you can work on any feminist issue, anything. And you can also look at just things that happen to you as a human being, but you're also female. For instance, um, I have a friend who 
tells a story about almost drowning. She was a teenager, I think maybe even a pre-teenager, very pretty, in a little bikini in Maine going swimming with, you know, family vacation. She almost drowned and no one really noticed. She was out in the waves. She got too far out and she couldn't get back in. And she finally did. I mean, she thought she was going to die out there. So she had a near-death experience. But what she remembers on top of the PTSD of that, of that near-drowning experience was that she was in a teeny bikini and that it was going to come off in the waves. And then what? <sighs> and she'd have to crawl on shore if she survived and be half naked and be like a, teen, a pre-teenager, even with a beautiful body, mind you. <laughs> so she wasn't shamed about her beautiful body. That could happen as well. But she was, she was so afraid of that. So there's, and also I would say that there's another level where this is a, Beautiful, brilliant human being, okay? A very intelligent person. She also was conditioned not to make a big deal out of it, you know? To just squish that experience down inside her and hold it. So that's a really good example of how even something that is like almost drowning could happen to anybody, male included, but all of these various social programmings that we have that we hold as females in a male dominated culture are going to come into play. Now you could say that's true about men too for males and it's and it is true. So I like to say, you know, anybody can be a feminist. Whatever gender you you are, wherever you relate on that gender spectrum, you can be a feminist and you can be a psychedelic feminist. And so how do you use the plants to empower women? Well, I believe that empowerment is also about healing. So let's say, for instance, someone talks about having noticing in their adult life that they have a real problem speaking out for themselves, including their career, you know, saying who they are and, and what they have to offer, whatever it is, speaking out. There's something almost like a muzzle that they feel. They can't put their fingers on it. It frustrates them. They know they have something to share. This is common. So let's say you take that into the medicine space as an intention. And hopefully we get a chance to work on it. Or, or if not with me, with somebody else you really love and trust. Really look at that a little bit. Talk about it. Journal about it. What you think it could be. Where, where some of the, maybe some of the times that you've experienced where that was particularly destructive in your life. Then you go into the medicine space, you partake of the medicine, whatever it is, whatever it is you want, hopefully in a good setting where there are other people with you, but not necessarily. And you really focus. The, the medicines like specifics. So you say to the medicine, for instance, why am I having trouble speaking out? What is that about? That's very specific, right? Mm -hmm. It's about yourself. It's about your voice. It's not about why do women have problems speaking out? It's you. It's about you. So that's not me. I don't have that problem. <laughs> um, but others do, and it's quite common. Now, if you go into that medicine space and you really investigate that, you may very well find something that truly was an incident that happened, often many, multiple incidents. You might also find clues to your own social conditioning, 
which we all have, all of us. And you may look at it in a different way, but something happens that's different when you're working with psychedelics than when you're just in a therapeutic situation with a psychologist, without psychedelics, I mean, because there's a lot of psychedelic assisted therapy going on in the world now, which is very, very exciting. But if you are just in regular talk therapy and you've worked through this as much as you possibly can, these medicines will help you get to what that is in a very, very different way. And when you come out the other side and you feel like your voice is free, that will change your life and that will be empowering. So we're at a time in our society where many in our culture believe that if women and minorities are given power, it means less for them. And But we know that's not mm. true. But we're seeing a lot of ill behavior as a result, violence and hostility, lack of respect, intimidation, all to prevent any gains being made. How do we use plant medicine to heal and unite instead of divide? Ah, well, okay. Usually when I talk about psychedelic feminism, I will start at the the, the very bare bones basic in case there are males on the other end. Okay. Listening mm -hmm. in. I am a male loving feminist. I have always loved males. I have a great dad. I have a wonderful husband. I had a wonderful grand grandfathers, um, really good mentors that were male. I, I have no issue with males. In fact, I would think it would be a very sad world without males. Okay. Feminism is not about taking everything from men. It's not having power over anybody. It's about a balance of power, and it's not about power over. It's about the power to create change or to have some say on how your life goes, on how your children's life goes, if you have children, on how the future will be. It's having a piece of, of the influence, okay? So you're not just drummed out. It's not okay if one particular group, whatever group that is, has more power than the other. That becomes, it's not like, okay, you have a car, there's something wrong with the, with the, uh, the way the wheels are. Then if you don't do something about that eventually, if you don't get that fixed over time, that's going to get worse and worse and worse. And finally, that car is just going to break down. We're in that now, so we have to find a balance. I think what you're talking about is scarcity. And mm -hmm. I, I'm, more, I'm more clued into the scarcity of power issues that females deal with and other minority groups. And usually I don't say minority groups is not really the better word. I think marginalized group is better mm -hmm. because that's mm -hmm. what we're talking about, right? Yes, yes. You know, when you're talking about marginalized groups of any kind, you're talking about scarcity of power issues that have been put on us by the powers that be because it's the best and easiest way to keep us fighting amongst ourselves. I know you know this. I know yeah. you know this. <laughs> I do. Yes, thank you. Yeah. I do. It's, it's alive and kicking in cannabis and psychedelics. Yeah. But we've been fed this because... It, it, it's just, it's a, this is the thing. It's so, we know this when we have all this information available and people are talking about decolonizing, which is pretty much about getting rid of the patriarchy. Let's face it, because that was the colonizers were pa the patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. When you are a colonizer, like a classic 
the big five of the more recent colonizers that most people here in the United States talk about. You're talking about Britain, you know, the British, the French, the Spanish, the Portuguese, and the Dutch, right? That's what that's who you're really talking about. And those colonizers, if you go to other countries and other times, you're going to get colonizers there too. There's colonizing going on in China right now. There's colonizing going on in Russia right now. And it's massive and destructive and terrible. Okay. But we usually think about like the British colonizers, right? The colonial times. Mm -hmm. They had books. They had classes. How to deal with the people that you find in this new world that you want. How do you either wipe them out or take them down to a place where you can use them in some way. And they saw wildlife that way too. It's not like it was just humans. They saw everything as something for them to utilize, to use resources, to, to turn into money and power for themselves. So one of the ways was, the easiest ways was divide and conquer, pit them against each other. And they have done that really well not just male female pit against each other but there's that too okay but females against females and within that all the little subgroups we mm. feel like there's not enough power because there isn't not as it stands if there's only one female who manages to get to be the vp the presidential vp that's amazing right? There's a first and only time there's been a woman, and yes, a woman of color, which is also a miracle, but a woman, the first and only female we've ever had in the vice president um, position. And not the president, by the way, that just couldn't happen, but the vice president. Uh, Yes, we were more willing to elect a black man than a woman. Uh Uh-huh, thank you. I mean, it does not get any more white male patriarchy than the president that we now have. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate all that he's doing, but you know, I don't want to diss our president. I'm just so grateful that the other one is gone. But and I'm also, I mean, this is a really miraculous thing that has happened. Finally, there is one, but it is time to celebrate and honor her and respect her and try not to tear her down because she is there and she's the first. We need to support her. Kamala, I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But I, we also need to address the fact that she still is the only one. Yes. I mean, you see these memes coming through Instagram, right? Where there's like all the males. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have one, mm-hmm. one female, there she is. Woo-hoo! We that is, a, that is a scarcity of power in the real world. That's, a, that's the, the problem. Because right now we do have a scarcity of problems. So it's not just perceived. Where I put the perceived in there is that we can't do that to ourselves. We need to make more room. We need to make more powerful opportunities. We need to take that power. And the others, the powers that be, need to give us more spaces. They need to realize that even if there's only 10 people at the table and you don't want to let your, your if you're males, you're all men at the table, 10 men at the table, you don't want to give one space up for anybody in a marginalized community. Well, then double the damn table. Thank you. I mean, really, right? Right. There's no reason why. You know, I say when, as women in cannabis, in other industries, we've all had to fight for one seat. But here, we're going to build the table big enough for all of us. Thank you. I mean, I really think that 
What's fascinating to me, I talk about diversity, but for me, diversity is also biodiversity, okay? This is a divine aspect of nature. And if you want to see nature as a divine feminine, great. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but I love Mother Nature or Gaia or Demeter or whatever mother goddess you're talking about. It is about divine diversity. This is what makes us thrive this is what the the world the world thrives on diversity once you start homogenizing things or taking out the balance of this sophisticated extraordinary biodiversity and just diversity in general diversity of expression of life then you start getting in trouble and we've been doing that for years We've been doing that all over the world. And so now all of a sudden we find ourselves in this situation where we're just about to destroy our own home, our own home planet. We're watching this this show on TV. We binge watched everything like everyone else in the pandemic, right? <laughs> Have you done that as well? Of course. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, we're on this sort of relatively new show. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. It's it's set at MIT and it's between MIT and uh, it's about an asteroid coming towards the planet, a meteor, I think, coming towards the planet. I should know the name. But what's fun for me is that I was in those spaces. In fact, I think I recognized the media lab back in the day. And so for me, I love that. I love the whole mad scientist saving the world stories and I love a good science fiction. But what's super frustrating, not just with this show, but with other big major, I mean, these are big budget, psycho, you know, um, like sci-fi um, movies and TV shows. Often they will talk about leaving to another planet, like because we've destroyed this one or this one's being wiped out. And they absolutely forget about the other species on this planet. It's all about humans. I mean, they have not mentioned once they're talking about an arc now in this movie, in this TV show, this big arc that this big billionaire is building. And I keep waiting. I keep waiting for him to talk about the other species, but they just don't matter to the producers of this of this TV show or the writers. It sounds I, like The Expanse. It isn't The Expanse. But yes, I like that one too. That's it. But yeah, they don't talk about other species either. Like it's just this very... It's all, it's definitely human centric too, Mm -hmm. but it's common. It's a commonplace problem. And see, to me, I talk about psychedelic feminism a lot, but again, the root of it is, is, is our relationship to each other and to the planet. So it's not the planet as in the air, the water, the soil. It's that definitely because they have rights also the planet itself, right? The elements, but it's the other creatures that we share this planet with. They have rights too. And if we, until we really truly get that and we live and breathe that, we will not be evolved and we will not make it. We will kill ourselves and we will kill everything else at the same time. So when I talk about that, um, I'm not being like, I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm a very positive, optimistic person. I believe we can change. And I believe that psychedelics can help us change rapidly enough and in a, you know, individually first and then in small groups and then larger groups and then bigger groups until we can maybe, maybe save ourselves from doing this to ourselves and to others. So what are three lessons that we can take with us every day that we can learn from the plant to help us navigate through this absolutely insane period in our history? 
how can we as psychedelic feminists use these lessons from the plant to move about in the world in a way that is more positive? Three, come into the medicine space with humility and respect and openness and creativity and courage. That's one. I know there's a lot of words. But when you come into the medicine space, come in with that. That This is about you. It's about your strengths, but it's also about the things that you could improve upon. That's one thing. Each of us has something we can do better. Right? Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. about learning, Absolutely. learning mm-hmm. ourselves and healing ourselves and learning to love ourselves. Right? It's not about, we can't heal others. All we can do is help others maybe guide people to heal themselves. That's it. You can only heal yourself. You can have help doing that, definitely, but you can't heal yourself. So I think humility is really important. Two, I think, wow, this is a good one. It's hard to do just three. (laughs) Remember that we are human, and human beings are a species of animal on planet Earth. We are nothing but that. Yes, we think we're very special, and we are special in many ways. So are the birds. So are the dolphins. They're all special. But we're special. We think we're the most special. That's narcissism, right? Mm-hmm. We need to overcome our narcissism. So I think working with these plants and fungi, if you remind yourself of that when you're in the, in the medicine experience, I believe that these entities who are also from nature will really appreciate that and will treat you more kindly. Mm. <laughs> Mushrooms are particularly wonderful for that, but a lot of people talk about reconnecting with nature. And the thing is, yes, how can you reconnect with nature if you are already nature? You are nature. I am nature. We are not disconnected from nature. You may think you're disconnected with to nature, but that is not actually a truth. It's just something you put in your head, somebody else put in your head. It's, it's this idea that we're not, that we need to reconnect with nature. I mean, look, I am all for everybody having time in actual nature. But the truth is that even if you're in an urban setting, you get up in the morning and what do you do? You go and brush your teeth, you shower, you, you know, you, you do go through your sort of ablutions. Why? Because you're, you're an animal. You are made of flesh and blood. So this idea of connect, reconnecting to nature is like, well, I think what it is really trying to say is appreciate nature. Remember that you are part of nature, that we are not just part of nature, but that we, even if we're almost insignificant, even if we feel insignificant, we actually are just as important as every other living being on this planet. We are part of a larger ecosystem that is divine and complex and fascinating, and we don't even know the half of it. So I think that would be the second thing. So the, the first thing was, you know, be co- walk, come into the space with humility, courage, creativity, commitment. Second one would be remind yourself that you are a human being and an animal and that all human beings are animals living on planet Earth. So that will bring you home. Three, I think the biggest thing for psychedelic feminism would be about acknowledging that we all carry a great deal of trauma from being in an abusive culture 
and to be kind with with that, to be kind to ourselves, to begin to really look at those, analyze those, try to heal them as best we can, but to also acknowledge that we're going to come out the other side of the medicine experience and through integration, we're going to, even if we change and grow, we're going to learn that the rest of the world has not. So you have to live in the world that is still patriarchal and is still abusive to women. I, I'm trying to put this into just three, but I would say that along with the trauma, there's a second one, which would kind of be four. Am I allowed to have a fourth? Yes. I would say that the fourth is distinct because the trauma is one thing. That's almost like we are not victims. I'm not about that, but we have been victimized and we carry those wounds. Okay. The fourth would be about our conditioning, our programming, which we all have. Nobody gets away with without having this. And some of it's good. Like you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater when you're looking at your programming. But conditioning programming, very similar. Very similar. I mean, like, you know, it's hard to kind of know what's what, actually. But if you're in the medicine space and you're looking at yourself and you want to grow and change and, and be a, you know, be the best person you can be, but also really learn about yourself, learn more about yourself, you can begin to really identify self-destructive programming or just programming that just keeps you down, just keeps you down, back, whatever. And it, it doesn't mean you're going to get rid of it, but identifying it is a first step. And I really mean, I think all of these things apply to anybody, not just females. I Absolutely. would, I have very encouraged many males to look at their programming in the same way. Okay. We have a few minutes left mm -hmm. and I, I want to pivot the conversation a little bit to talk about the state of psychedelics in the world and what you are most excited about. So it's, mm. it's almost for a lot of people, I think the, the idea that psychedelics is becoming mainstream has just almost come out of nowhere. We have two states now, uh, while DC, Oregon have both uh, approved psychedelics for legal use. And I was talking with a woman yesterday in the UK who's hosting a psychedelic conference there. There's a huge organization in Spain, uh, I-C-E-E-S. Yes. So there is a lot going on in the world. Can you tell me in just a few minutes that we have left here, kind of an overview of where psychedelics is going and what you're most concerned about in, in this evolution and what you're most excited about? Well, that's a lot to cover. It is. Um, <laughs> since we were just talking about nature, let me toss this in first. Just as we have human rights, and that's important, all of these right, all of these other creatures, these these other living beings that we share the planet with, also have rights. That includes the plants and the fungi. They have rights. They're not there for us. They may be our allies and our friends, but they're not ours. OK, mm -hmm. so in, from that perspective, I think that with this massive tsunami of psychedelics being, ex, in, uh, you know, embraced around the world, which is nothing but a good thing, even with the problems, we need to be very careful with, you know, the word is sustainability. But we need to really be careful that we're not over harvesting these plants, that we're learning how to cultivate them in, in ways that are very respectful if we're going to work with them. And we need to be very um, respectful to indigenous cultures who first brought these plants and fungi to our attention if we're not part of those cultures. I mean, if you are part of those cultures, then it's, you know you already know that. 
but being being very sensitive to that, right? Um, this this idea of cultural appropriation is very complex. It could be a you know a podcast in and of itself. But what I'm saying is the plants also have rights, and plants and fungi are not the way they're different from us. We're mammals. We have our own kind of way in the world. Again, I'm talking about nature, right? I'm looking at them as natural beings that have their own distinct ways. Plants propagate. They like to be spread around the world. That's what they do. That's they, they need us. They don't, you know, spores can go into the wind, but, you know, the, the, the plants need pollinators and propagators, and we are propagators. So they're doing really well if we're conscious and if we're respectful. If we're not conscious and respectful, we will abuse them. We will wipe them out. We will do the same thing we're doing to everything else. So I'd say that if I had to pick one thing, that would be that that would be it. If I can say a couple more, I would say access and inclusion is extremely important. And I don't mean everybody having a chance to see a shrink and sit on a, you know, a couch and have somebody give them some sort of synthetic psychedelics and put something over their eyes and put some earphones on them with some canned music of their choice and talk with them like they're on a psychiatrist's, uh, you know, office. That is wonderful for some people. It may even be the only way many people will even try this. And it also might be the, the best way for someone who's truly in crisis and needs some, that sort of controlled situation. However, it's not, of all, it's not interesting to me personally at all. I like to be in nature. I like to be in community. I like to be in the most traditional setting possible with indigenous people if I'm welcomed. And, you know, with them leading, that's what I like. I like the, the, the traditions that have been built around these medicines because I think they're fascinating and I'm interested in human culture. Okay, so I think that the, the ethics here, which is kind of what you're getting at, I think, um, we need to be careful that with this massive boom that we don't have an industry that is a hostile takeover. We need to embrace all of these beautiful pieces of the psychedelic community or scene and make sure that they all still keep their spaces. I mean, weird is wonderful in psychedelics. My husband just did a, a talk about wild, you know, the wild, get wild with psychedelics. It's about the wilderness within. You know, I'm all about that too. What you're doing is you're going into your own psyche, into your, in, inside yourself, which is immensely fascinating and seemingly infinite and uncharted territory. So we're not talking about a controlled situation. So I think that, you know, before we go running around getting patents and whatnot, we need to really be very careful about the balance. Um, yeah. I've, never, I've never seen anything become an industry this fast. This is not my first rodeo. Um, I think cannabis took a lot longer to become an industry. I was also part of the whole so-called dot-com boom, but I was way early, way before it was called the dot-com boom. That took a good long while to really take off. Yes, it did. It had yeah. a bust before it really did. It had several waves. Yeah. And it, it so did, you know, cannabis took a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but this, I've never seen anything like it. All of a sudden, it's pay to play. Yeah. And the problem with pay to play is that you're going to get people who can pay to play and you're not going to get all these cool ass people who maybe have gone through life and become experts not motivated by money. 
because yeah. artists aren't motivated by money. And, you know, most scientists aren't. Most most anthropologists aren't. Ethnobotanists, you know, they're lucky if they can make a good living. What are you most excited about with Cosmic Sister in 2021? Oh, my goodness. It's really happening. I think the most exciting thing, I'm just going to say, um, not long ago, it was pretty difficult to to find um, Black women, I'm going to say Black women specifically, who were not just willing to come out if they were out there working with psychedelics to begin with, but also were, were reaching out interested for their own work, you know, wanting to wanting to learn about psychedelics, wanting to get involved. It was really difficult to find anybody who was interested because I always was looking and inviting. And when I said all women, I meant all women. And I think the most exciting thing is that <laughs> the floodgates are open in all the right ways. There are so many black women and yes, women of color um, coming in to Cosmic Sister that it I don't I don't I'm having a different experience than a lot of people I think in the space. I'm not having an issue with diversity anymore. There, there are so many women of all types you can't even imagine. So I think I think that's the, what I'm the most excited about is the diversity that's coming in, the types of women. And I also say I'm really excited about how kind so many of them are there. You know, I've worked really hard at trying to build an authentic community. I, I resisted the urge to buy followers on Instagram and we were, you know, late in the program getting on Instagram. Uh, but many of our so-called competitors, there's that word again, they totally bought their they bought a lot of their uh, followers. I know that for a fact. We did not. We decided we wanted to really gather people who had really, truly a like-minded um, connection, a connection to these medicines in the ways we are, wanting wanting the same kinds of things we want, and very heart-centered women. And so that is, uh, that's something I'm really excited about. I'm excited about seeing that come to fruition and just the love that's being shared and the connections they're making with each other. You know this, you I work do. with women too. I do. I do. And you I'm know? just, I'm grinning from ear to ear right Yay. now. You can't see it, but I am because I completely resonate with what you're saying. And it's worth it. It is. It really is. There's no reward like being able to help others in such it's, a meaningful way. It's fantastic. And they help me too. I yes. mean, it's just, Tremendously. I think our Caitlin Moakley uh, plug got out. So I just want to send some props to Caitlin for setting this up. She's fantastic. Uh, but I also want to say that, you know, the givers, the ones that understand sacred reciprocity, uh, wow, <laughs> they're, they're just wonderful. And I don't, I don't mean money. I mean, money is great. We need money. We need sponsorship. Anything is welcome. But I'm talking about giving in other ways, too. You can give of yourself in so many ways today and really make a difference. You can, for instance, say, look, I was on a great podcast and she was one wonderful host. I'd love to connect you with fill in the blank. You know, I would love to connect you, Kira, with a, some fabulous women. It doesn't cost me a cent. Well, how can women find you if they are interested in becoming part of Cosmic Sister? Oh, it's easy. We made it easy. It's all Cosmic Sister. So, you know, we're mostly on Instagram at the moment. Um, so if you go to Cosmic Sister on Instagram, that's probably the easiest way to get in on the conversation. Let us know who you are. Participate. Meet people. You know, follow other Cosmic Sisters. Check out what they're doing. Find the people you relate to on the feed and prop them up. I mean, really, we need to help ourselves. 
that's the truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, I'm all about male allies and I welcome and appreciate them so much, but I also think we need to do it for ourselves. Agreed. Thank you so much, Zoe, for your time and for sharing your journey with us today. Ladies, thank you for tuning in. If you haven't yet joined the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, go to our website, womenempoweredincannabis.com, and find your group. Supply Chain, CBD and Hemp, and the recently launched Women of Color group. WEIC is a community that provides resources, connections, events, and content to women working in cannabis in the U.S., Canada, and around the world where there's an interest in cannabis legalization. We welcome women who are currently working in cannabis or curious about taking a leap into the industry. Consider becoming a supporting member or supporting business for benefits and access across the network. Join us next week for another conversation with women leading in cannabis. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.